From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We have my co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, on the line. We'll be on in just a second. Uh, and Kathy and I are your leadership development coaches. We have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. In today's show, we're going to talk about decisions in ambiguous times, and we have Dr. Amy Edmondson. And she will share her insights on decision-making and management practices as both a top performer and a coach for top performers based on her research and work at Harvard University. And knowing where the economic times and the crisis that we're in now, this should be very, very uh, insightful. And um, Dr. Amy Edmondson is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management. The Novartis Chair was established to enable the study of human interactions that lead to the creation of successful business enterprises for a better society. And we'll give you a little bit more of her her background uh, in in a moment. And Kathy, welcome to the call. Thanks, Relly. I'm looking forward to today's show. And you know that uh, Kathy and I, you know, we always want to bring you the best in current leadership topics, you know, interviews with proven leaders. And what we really like to do is provide evidence-based best practices to help you develop more leaders in your organization. And maybe, Kathy, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit more about things people can learn in these I would sessions? love to. I mean, I, I really do believe that um, our our show is one of the few that really focus on leadership from a scientific standpoint and a research-based standpoint. And, Relly, you and I both know that leaders certainly are the heartbeat of an organization and that most leaders really do underestimate just how much influence they have over others. And, well, as a result, they can underperform and their teams can underperform. But, as we know, which we will share again in today's show, that by doing just a few things differently, we can all improve our performance as leaders in our organizations and help others do the same. And what we'll try to share with you, our audience, in every show is something about how to develop more leaders in your organization, how to um, maybe use some of the happy company tips and techniques, as well as the emotional intelligence strategies that really uh, addresses in his books, and we love to talk about positive psychology strategies, uh, whatever we can share with you about the brain and neuroscience contributions to leadership, and also focus on gender and generational differences that help you create a better work-life balance, not only for yourself, but for those around you. We also try to help you with some self-management tools and strategies for being your best. And today will certainly be a show that focuses on many of these aspects as we talk to uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson. So uh, before we bring uh, Amy on, let me just give you a um, few more key facts about leadership development. Why do we talk about leaders so much? Well, a lot of the research shows that leaders have anywhere from 50 to 70% influence over the climate of their team. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is 
that emotions are contagious, and probably the most contagious person is the leader. And that's why we like to say that the leader is the emotional thermostat for their team. They set the pace. They set the temperature for their team. And the goal for these calls and, and uh, interviews that we have is how do you get more people into the top 10%? And why is that so important? We know that leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue to the organization as leaders or managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And one of the keys are some of the things that we talk about. All these emotional intelligence strategies typically are more important than how smart someone is or their technical expertise. And if you're thinking about boosting the productivity of your organization, training is always important. And training, as research shows, gets about a 22% bump in training. But if you can add coaching, ongoing coaching, where people can really ground some of the ideas, Kathy and I are both certified coaches, a lot of the research shows that productivity can go up as high as 88%. And one of the keys is trying to take some of these micro-initiatives to create macro-impacts. And both Kathy and I um, can bring in coaching into your organization, and typically in a day, set up some systems to bring coaching into your organization. And Kathy's sweet spot about happiness, a lot of studies have showed that it's tied to profit by more than 93%. So from coaching training, you can really have people learn the skills, be happier, and and help the bottom line. If you're more interested in some uh, feedback for Kathy or want to have her uh, support your organization, her contact information is Dr. Kathy Greenberg at www.h2cleadership.com for her happiness books, tools, speaking keynotes, leadership and coaching services. If you want some more information about me, Dr. Riley Nadler, my website is www.truenorthleadership for some free emotional intelligence uh, assessments, books, tools, speaking keynotes, and leadership and coaching boot camps. So with that, Kathy, you want to introduce Dr. Edmondson, tell us a little bit more about maybe your, your meeting with her and some background. I would love to. It was a, an absolute honor and a privilege to not only meet uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson, but to uh, be a team member with her as a faculty at the Walmart Executive Education Programs this year. And really, as you and I both know, we are extremely privileged individuals uh, in the realm of leadership development, and we often come across talent and uh, thought leaders and always take the opportunity to invite them to be with us on these shows because we want to focus on top performers and how to create them. Uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson is the Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management. She is the Novartis Chair, and it was um, a program and a seat established to enable the study of human interactions that lead to the creation of successful business enterprises for a better society. Isn't that a beautiful mission? Um, Dr. Edmondson joined the Harvard faculty as an assistant professor in 1996, and her research examines leadership influences on learning, collaboration, and innovation in teams and organizations. Her field-based approach includes research in healthcare delivery and manufacturing. And she has published widely in academic journals, and she is also well-known to management periodicals and is the author of Teaching Cases on the Cleveland Clinic, Prudential Financial, Simmons Mattress Company, Yum Brands, IDEO Product Designs, one of my favorite companies, (laughs) and NASA's failed Columbia mission, which we'll talk about during our program today. In 2003, 
the Academy of Management's Organizational Behavior Division selected Professor Edmondson for the Cummings Award for Outstanding Achievement and in 2000 selected her article, Psychological Safety and Learning Behavior in Work Teams, for its annual award for the best published paper in the field. Her recent article, Why Hospitals Don't Learn from Failures, Organizational and Psychological Dynamics that Inhibit System Change, has received the 2004 Accenture Award for a significant contribution to management practices. And certainly as a former partner with Accenture, I know how important that award is. You know, before her academic career, uh, Dr. Edmondson was Director of Research at Pecos River Learning Centers, where she worked closely with CEO Larry Wilson to design and implement organizational change programs in a variety of Fortune 100 companies. In the early 1980s, she worked as Chief Engineer and Architect Inventor for Buckminster Fuller, and her book, A Fuller Explanation, clarifies Fuller's mathematical contributions for a non-technical audience. That's amazing. Edmondson received her Ph.D. in organizational behavior, um, and she uh, has a degree in psychology and engineering and design, and all from Harvard University. She lives with her husband, George, a physician and scientist, and their two young sons. And I was privileged to meet Amy during our program, along with wonderful faculty that helped us to talk about decision-making in ambiguous times. Welcome, Dr. Amy Edmondson. Thank you so much, Kathy. I'm delighted to be here. We're very pleased to have you. You know, Relly always likes to ask this very introspective question, so Relly, I'm going to let you go <laughs> ahead. Okay. Well, Amy, we always want to try to find out a little bit more about the kind of what makes up folks. I think that's mm-hmm. you know, my background as a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, makes them dangerous. Yeah, it makes me a little dangerous here. But so who's been some of the most influential people in your thinking, you know, as a teacher and as an uh, uh, educator of leaders? Well, I have to say I've been, uh, I don't know, I've, I've been spoiled in that respect in, in that I've had the, the privilege of working with more than my fair share of leaders and great teachers. And I guess I would say it starts with my really wonderful experience of working with Buckminster Fuller when right out of college. Mm. Now, so I graduated from college with a, a degree in engineering and design, and at that time I could think of nothing more exciting or wonderful than working for Buckminster Fuller, who um, was known best for inventing the geodesic dome, but had a far greater and more expansive vision of how to make the world a better place through through responsible design. And I thought, of course, that that dream was an impossible one. Um, and so just to get it out of my system, I wrote him a letter as a senior at college uh, to see whether I might work for him, um, but knowing that that, of course, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, be possible. And uh, I had a letter back in my mailbox about a week and a day later um, offering me a job. Mm. This, was, this was in 1980. So I went down, I spent... Um, a little over three years uh, working for him. He was exactly four times my age um, when I when I started that job, and that was initially in education and how do you design incredibly tough structures that withstand hurricanes and everything else. But far more importantly, it was an education in how do you think in such a way as to as to lead people, engage their hearts and minds. Um, in the quest of helping them discover what it is that their experience 
and insight leads them to want to do in the service of making a better world. So I'll stop there. I, I think I could take up all your time just talking about Bucky, and I know you don't want to do that, but he certainly was the most formative influence on on me in my, my early career uh, days. The other thing that it may be worth saying a little bit about is uh, Larry Wilson and Pecos River. I've been to Pecos yep. River, and uh, what, a, what a great area. Oh, Maybe you can say a little well, that's bit about the, that. That's why I feel so spoiled. I sort of went from great mentor to great mentor. Um, so a- after after Bucky passed away, which was really very sudden, um, even though he was 88 and was um, at his wife's deathbed, so they both really died together. He just had a heart. He had a heart attack as she was uh, very ill and fading. Um, and I wrote a book after that time. I really was quite grief stricken, but also. Um, felt a need to give something back, so I wrote this book about Fuller's work and had a little bit of opportunity to lecture about it and so forth, and that's where I met Larry Wilson um, at uh, at a big uh, conference in in Colorado, and, and uh, I, I ended up going down to Pecos River to work with him, first in a research capacity and then really in a sort of quasi-research and consulting capacity with Pecos River Learning Centers, and it was really Larry who turned my attention to the problem of organizations and leadership in that sector as opposed to in the sort of design and engineering sector. Mm-hmm. Amy, I'm going to ask you to hold yeah. that thought for one second. We're going to be right back after Great. this commercial break, and we'll start right where you left off, so don't go away. This is Leadership Development News. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, 
and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Dr. Amy Edmondson of Harvard University. Diversity, and the topic today is decisions in ambiguous times. And before the break, you were just telling us about some of your experiences with um, Larry Wilson and Pecos River, and, and it sounds like that was what has led you into um, the field of uh, organizational management. So maybe why don't we pick up from there? Great. So I, I had, as, as I said, this wonderful opportunity to go work with with Larry Wilson just in the early days. When Pecos River Learning Center, his, his when maybe his third or fourth uh, entrepreneurial venture was getting started, and and my job was to do research and help Larry think about the kinds of programs we would run, that, in a nutshell, I think were designed to help people tap into their own sense of of purpose and I think what Kathy would call happiness, and to uh, tap into the energy that that brings them in the workplace, to engage in improvement activities to serve customers better, to serve their organizations and ultimately the world um, in, in uh, a more effective way. And this became to me surprisingly interesting and engaging as a, as a focus of my work. And I absolutely loved working at Pecos. I loved working with Larry. I learned more than I can possibly ever convey. Um, and along the way had the kind of dark realization that I lacked any formal training in this domain, meaning I had no psychology background at the time. I had no business training. And so I finally decided to to come to grips with that and apply to graduate school. And um, I applied to uh, a Ph.D. program in organizational behavior at Harvard and was uh, lucky enough to uh, be accepted and uh, be given uh, scholarship support and so forth. And that really, in, in addition to the work with Larry, that launched me on a new career as a researcher of these issues that I cared so much about. And so I guess I've been in the in the academic part of this enterprise for the last you know almost twenty years. Now, you know, Amy, I'm I'm um, jumping in here. Sorry, I'm 
just no, so please enthusiastic do. about what you've been doing and the case studies that you've developed because mm-hmm. I was um, so fortunate to see you in action mm-hmm. uh, deliver the case study in you know the compassionate and, and absolutely invigorating style that a, a Harvard professor of your elk would do with executives mm-hmm. um, at this retreat. And um, this, this whole process of using case studies with executives was not something that I had actually seen put into practice. Mm. Certainly, having mm. been a, a professor myself, having seen mm. it in the classroom, you you see how it works. But how do you develop these these case studies and make them so exciting um, to help leaders understand crisis management? Well, I, I think that's a wonderful question, and it it starts with the recognition that a particular issue, or a particular organization, or a particular person in an organization offers a rich setting for discussion right so your 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 nose or your gut is engaged by something and clearly that the uh, challenger shuttle tragedy was a rich uh and and engaging and challenging problem uh for for people to wrestle with and so i've written maybe 25 or so cases over the years and i'm always drawn in for some reason or another, by a, by a person or an issue, as I said. And then I and, and uh, sometimes my students will go in, and we do our very best to try to capture in writing the, the situation without putting our thoughts into it, right? so without putting our analysis into it. Now, this is very difficult as academics because we're trained to analyze, but we find that the best pedagogical vehicles, the, the cases, are ones that don't give it away, but really try to convey the situation fully and as accurately as we can. And then we go into the classroom. Now, I, as the professor, have an idea of where I want to go and what lessons I want to draw out, but it's never the the same twice. Uh, So the, the case doesn't lead people too hard in the direction that I'm trying to go, but maybe gently pushes them in, in, in that direction. And so the the um you know it's it's really a wonderful way to to teach because it's asking people it's educare go within to find the insights that they have and to make those connections working with some situation that they had nothing to do with so it's both safe uh because it's not their reality so it's safe to jump in take risks say what comes into their head um um, and at the same time, very connected to their reality because there's fundamental human truths there. And so, just that reflective time—you know—it's already happened. And you know, so, you, so you're really bringing in that kind of 2020 uh, vision um, in in the case of what what brought about the case, but then also what would they do differently? Exactly. What would they do differently? And why did this happen the way it is? Which, which isn't always as straightforward as it seems. Because yeah. there are, um, you know, we have heated debates, and, and Kathy saw some of them in the classroom, whereby people uh, do, they can't help it, I think, start to point their fingers and say, well, it's, you know, it was this manager's fault or it was that engineer's fault, rather than um, thoughtfully considering the ways in which these different factors came together yeah. uh, to produce a bad outcome or, in some other cases, uh, you know, a good outcome. So when that happens, because I've seen that happen also in my work, it, it's almost a primitive, let's try to yeah. cast blame, that takes away the complexity 
mm-hmm. of the issue. How do you how do you bring that back? Because it's almost like the brain just wants to get an answer. It's if they did this and this. When it's always, it's never that simple. Exactly right. Well, you bring it back. I think that's really well put. You bring it back with a well-timed and well-structured question. Uh-huh. And so you you never want to, as you know, as a psychologist, you don't want to call someone wrong. And in fact, they're not wrong. There's a truth to what they say. It's just right. incomplete. Um, but you can you can you want to try to open it back up so you can say. That's an interesting perspective. Does everyone see it that way? Mm-hmm. Does anyone have a different point of view? And there, the, 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 the beauty of the case method is that in a good-sized room, there will be someone who doesn't agree right. and, who can, and, and who isn't in the hot seat at the moment you ask the question so they can think more clearly and so they can say, well, I'm not so sure that someone else in that chair wouldn't have done the exact same thing. One of the things that I think you do exceptionally well in engaging the hearts and minds of these executives is um, is partly a, a, a competency or a skill that requires someone to be like a coach, non-judgmental, and open to suggestions that may, in fact, even be incorrect. Is this a natural skill that that you think you've always had? Or can others learn how to do that so that they can help others learn better by asking good, non-judgmental questions? I think it's absolutely a skill. I wouldn't for a moment claim that I've always had it. And I think you're absolutely right um, in, in, in pointing to that as kind of the heart of not only the pedagogy but, but good coaching, which is learning to ask the right questions, asking in a non-judgmental way, and and, and helping people find the answers uh, within themselves. So, some people have said at, at at Harvard Business, you know, at the Harvard Business School, that how we teach is what we teach. It's it's almost less about the the frameworks, the theories, the models, and more about the process, which is exactly the process you're just pointing to. That's great. It's, I'm just writing that down for myself. It's it's the it's the how we teach. And I think that the how it really gets people thinking. And I think in the in the management world, and I often say this, leaders train their direct reports not to think. Just come ask right. me. I got right. all the answers. And so people take the shortcut and they don't think. And what a mistake that is in you know the the global interconnected knowledge based twenty first century workplace. That just won't work. Right. Right. Well, so. Um, we want to take this to some of this uh, in ambiguous times, mm. and it sounds like that's what you were talking about when, when Kathy first met you. So do you believe that executives truly understand uh, the importance of their personal values in decision-making uh, under ambiguous circumstances? And maybe you can, just for our audience, maybe just unpack ambiguous circumstances a little bit and then have their values apply to that. Okay, so let let me start with... What do we mean by ambiguous circumstances? Ambiguous, of course, means two things uh, may seem true at the same time. And uh, it it means that the signal is not clear. And so, of course, the very first thing we would need to do is recognize the ambiguity, recognize that it's not clear-cut. It's not a matter of simply executing on some command. Uh, And that means that our job suddenly very clearly, is to learn, 
is to learn more about it until we feel more confident that we understand what's going on so that we can act appropriately. And so ambiguous times would be times that are full of muddled, somewhat confusing, possibly conflicting situations whereby we either or both need to dig in further till we understand it better and or we need to engage in the appropriate action from which we can learn the most so that our next action is closer to the mark. Mm-hmm. Right, so that is, if you think about it, if I think about a sailing metaphor, we, if, we're, if we're sailing, we can never go straight upwind, straight into the wind. The sailboat won't go that way. And yet, quite often, that's where we're trying to head, as you're, in your company's terms, true north. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? Well, we go this way at 45 degrees to the wind, and then we go that way at 45 degrees to the wind. And eventually, we get we get where we're going, but we deliberately go off in one way that we know isn't exactly right mm-hmm. for the purposes of, A, making progress, and B, getting enough feedback to know where to head next. And so to, to take this back to your question about values, I think, unfortunately, this kind of process is very, very um, deeply dependent on people having learning-oriented values and and people-oriented values that are that are p- deeply committed to getting to the right uh, place eventually. Um, and yet, I think that, contrast to your question, most leaders are not aware, very good leaders are aware, but many leaders are not aware of the impact that their, their personal and often taken-for-granted value systems might have on their decisions and on the others around them. Do you think... Um or do you believe that um, executives really understand the importance of their personal values in decision-making? And do you think you help clarify those values for them during these uh, case studies? I hope so. See, I don't think that most people have that appreciation of how of the importance of and impact of their own often-taken-for-granted values on the organization's in which they work. And so one aim of the case study processes is to help them identify and articulate some of these values that are, as I said, often taken for granted and to see the effect. And this is easier to see in others than in oneself. So that's the that's the beauty of the case method is that I'm looking at a case study, whether it's of NASA or... Charlie Idle at Simmons Betting, and I can see, as an observer, I can see how his values are affecting how things play out or how her values are affecting how things play out much more clearly and starkly than I can see that about myself. And so I engage in this process, I engage in this discussion with my peers, with others, and now it's time to turn the question back to self-reflection. Hmm, what does this mean for me? And at that point, I think people are are quite able and willing uh, to go there and to think about the impact that their own values might have in the same way that the NASA's values might have had an impact on the on the uh, the, the Challenger tragedy and the Columbia one as well. So we'll, we're going to go to a break uh, right now, Dr. Edmondson. But I think maybe when we come back. Let's get get a couple examples of some of these personal values. I think that may help uh, our yeah. our listeners. 
So this is Leadership Development News. Um, we'll be right back. Just going for a break. And, and the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Hey, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher, but without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. I got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're speaking to Harvard professor Dr. Amy Edmondson, and when we left, we were talking about values, Amy, and how those uh, beliefs and principles that an executive holds near and dear, 
have an impact on their decision-making. Can you give us some examples of these values and how you've seen them uh, work, uh, I guess, kind of to the advantage or disadvantage of an executive during these case study assessments? Let me give you one example of each. And, and let me start by saying that we've been using the term personal values, and that may be descriptive in some cases. Um, and more often, I think values that a leader holds may come from the organization, particularly if he or she has spent a long time in it. So the, the, the culture, in a sense, embodies a set of values, the culture of an organization. And those who tend to rise to the top of these organizations often embody those values more than anyone. And so just to illustrate that um, and to show possibly a, a negative side, one might hold the value of efficiency, speed, you know, effective execution, those are obviously good things in some sense, um, but they have a downside um, as well. So at, uh, at NASA, in both uh, shuttle accidents, but particularly let's talk about the Challenger shuttle accident in 2003, um, our analysis suggests that one of the very real challenges the organization faced was that an overwhelming emphasis really uh, sent out there by, by leadership at all levels was on efficiency and productivity as opposed to, say, inquiry and uncertainty around you know, difficult technological and scientific issues. Uh, so the value of efficiency, and I think we can all say, yep, that's a great value, um, but holding that value in very uncertain and very highly technical and intricate uh, contexts can lead people to other people around you to hold back on their questions, not raise their doubts, not speak up when they think, hmm, I'm not quite sure this is safe, and, and so on and so forth. And so there's an example of a leader exercising a value that's getting people charged up and wanting to get things done quickly and efficiently, uh, but possibly has the dark side of suffocating doubt and inquiry, um, and ultimately there was a tragic result in that case in that people were felt unable to really speak up about and inquire into the risk that a foam strike would make, would damage the shuttle and um, lead to an explosion upon reentry, which is what happened. So that's an example of where a leadership value not necessarily discussed overtly but held and communicated in a variety of ways uh, limited the learning potential of the team and led to a tragedy. And now let me give you an example of a, of a, of a positive value. When I, I wrote a, a, a case on a wonderful turnaround story at Simmons Betting Company uh, that, that goes from the year 2000 to the year uh, 2007, um, and is a, is a lovely change, a successful change uh, initiative led by Charlie Idle, who was the CEO of the company during that period. Now, Charlie very deeply held and exuded values of empowerment and caring and, and trust in employees to, um, to be able to do the right thing and, and, and act on uh, their instincts uh, to work effectively in teams and serve customers um, in all sorts of interesting ways. Now, his values were perfectly aligned with 
what the company needed at that time. They needed to wake up the workforce, to re-engage them, to lower absenteeism, to to make work fun again, um, to reduce waste, to get back on track. Whereas, at, and so his values served the organization and served the people who, whom he led, I think, beautifully. Whereas, in contrast, the values when NASA leaders held values of efficiency, and yet they were engaged in intricate, uncertain, ambiguous, you know, uh, research and development type work, that was a mismatch. And I can see in, in certain cultures, like exactly like you're saying, you know, the efficiency, and I think many leaders think that i got to be decisive, i got to be strong. Right. Um, there's always uncertainty. And, and I think, you know, the other piece is not everything is going to be life and death, you know, like the shuttle, uh, the shuttles are the challenger, you know, talking about Columbia. Right. And so maybe that even adds to, you know, this is not a life and death situation. I, I uh, And I can be perceived as being strong and decisive, which may also get in the way. Yes, and there's, you know, I think there's there's nothing um, more ironic than the desire to be, I mean, the, the execution on that desire of I'm going to be strong and I'm going to be decisive when, in fact, there's sufficient uncertainty mm-hmm and unknowns and possibilities that what you want is to engage other people's yep. curiosity and thinking. When when you um, are putting together these case studies, mm. it's clear to me that you have a vision uh, about the learning that you'd like executives to have in decision-making. How, how do you guide that, that process as the creator of a case study? The way I do this is that I think, you know, I, I'm, as I said, I'm drawn to write a case because I see something interesting there. And I, as you point out, I, I have some ideas about what makes it interesting and what I would like people to come away with. So then I tend to think of a class session in, in terms of discussion pastures or, or segments. And so... I don't overly I don't want to overly structure it nor can I because it's very much up to the group how they how they engage and respond but I do have a sense of the rough domain like we'll now spend we'll now spend 10 or 15 minutes talking about what made it hard for people to speak up right and people people can tell both from the case study and from their own experiences what some of those factors might be and they can engage in that discussion and and then one can, if one has time, say, well, how do those factors play out right now in your teams or your organizations? And, and we, can, we can go there for a while. So I'm thinking in terms of, of pastures. I hope at the end of that pasture to have the opportunity to do some little mini-wrap, like, well, I heard this, we, we, this came out, here's a tension that one would always have to wrestle with in this situation, and, and so on. And and so I have these, you know, three or four, say, uh, discussion pastures or blocks that I'm anticipating. They may be shorter or longer. We may not get to all of them. And then I also have a sense of what are the, you know, two or three major uh, lessons or takeaways that, that I would try to emphasize at, at the end as well. That's great. Uh, just a bit of here how, you, how that, that works for you. And I think going back to what you said earlier, just the, you know the power of the questions and the questions that can bring about people's beliefs. Yeah, um, do you think that you can teach executives about their own beliefs and principles um, that can help them under difficult circumstances? 
I do. I think that you, by first seeing them play out in other settings, mm-hmm. um, you can then. So that's it's almost like that's safe practice. We can talk and talk and talk about NASA's problems, um, and then sort of say, hmm, you know, how does this how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Now, there's really two very different contexts for for me as a as an instructor in this setting. One is when I have a room full of people from all different settings that have shown up on campus, whether for the MBA program or executive education. And there I'm asking them to reflect on their own experiences um, often as, as people, as, as future or current leaders. The other situation is what Kathy and I did recently at Walmart, which is we have a room full of people all from the same company. And here my aim is more to get them to reflect together on the world in which they work together. So, you know, how does NASA or how does Walmart um, uh, work in this way? How does it influence your thinking in this mm-hmm. way? What are the ways in which you uh, feed, feed into that or learn from that or change that or what, what, whatever uh, the, the topic is? So there I'm asking them, and I, I think we have great success getting them to reflect in the safe container of the classroom uh, on, on these issues. And so that latter one, then you're really dealing with kind of more of the organizational issues yes. in the culture versus yes. individual. I mean, you can you can bring it down to the individual, depending on the topic uh, and the question. And sometimes, as as I'm sure you well know, putting them putting into smaller buzz groups of some kind makes it even even safer for that more intimate reflection. Well, so we're coming to our our last break here, and we're talking with uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson. We're going to be right back, and we'll be uh, talking more about making decisions in some ambiguous times. This is. Leadership Development News. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50 to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. 
Dr. Greenberg, co-author of What Happy Companies Know and What Happy Women Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical training for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy herself is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group training, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch her at the Governor's Conference for Women Nationally and as spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America throughout 2009 for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results. To learn more about adding Kathy and Happy Company's healthy people to your team, visit Kathy at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com. Sing that bedtime song. Rockabye baby by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're speaking to Harvard professor Dr. Amy Edmondson about decision-making. And, uh, Amy, before we went to break, we were, we were talking about uh, the idea that leaders um, can start to think about a process of some kind um, under pressure. Do you advocate a process for helping leaders make good decisions under poor conditions or as is in today's world, with incomplete information? And and what might that look like? I would have to say I advocate a mindset or an approach more than a particular process, although this, uh, this approach does manifest itself in a process. So let me try to explain. A default mode that I have observed in really, you know, countless hours of research watching management teams wrestle with tough decisions, the default approach gets them into trouble. And the default is very quickly, we could characterize it as a win-lose approach or an um, advocacy approach, whereby the name of the game is the person who is most convincing is best able to win converts to his or her point of view. And so if you listen closely to the default process, it's people arguing back and forth, not necessarily listening to the wisdom of each other's observations or thoughts, but to where the chinks in the armor of each other's observations and thoughts might be, so that I can come back and try again to win you over as a convert to my point of view. Now, often this doesn't work very well, because people, uh, everybody's playing the same game, so nobody wants to be the convert, and everybody wants to be the victor. And so we see 
management team meetings that go on and on and on, sometimes for months without a great deal of progress or, or true resolution, um, or we see um, the person with the most positional power or possibly the uh, most compelling arguments winning. And, and uh, sometimes that's okay, because sometimes the compelling arguments uh, do win on the merits and are the right things to do. But given the context you just suggested of incomplete data, of, of unclear and uncertain paths forward, um, I strongly uh, advocate a different approach than the win-lose, and I will call it either, I can call it either a, uh, a learning-oriented approach or an inquiry-oriented approach or more simply a problem-solving oriented approach. And so we approach the decision as if it were a problem to be solved rather than a decision to be made. Rather than an argument to be settled, it's a kind of um, science project where we have to together uh, figure it out. The actual process that comes from this approach or mindset is one in which there's a great deal more question asking or inquiry. And the kinds of questions we hear people asking are, when this is going well, true questions. They aren't leading questions or advocacy disguised as inquiry along the lines of, I'm right, right? Um, but they're real questions, like, I really want to understand how you see this. Or help me understand what's wrong with um, trying it this way. And I really want to listen, right? So I'm listening to what you say. And the result of this approach, which is um, not natural, so does have to be led, is a synthetic new decision. Rather than I won, you lost, it's we won because pieces of all of our thinking have come together to suggest something new. And so with that, because um, I've seen this over and over, it, you said you have to be led. Is that, and so would that be either a facilitator or a leader? It can either be a you know a formal a person in a in a formal facilitator or formal leadership role, or it can be someone who, for whatever reason, uh, is not in the hot seat around a particular issue. Uh-huh. Right, so I'm part of this team, but I don't have a ton of skin in the game on this issue. Right. So that helps me see better where we're getting stuck process-wise. Yeah. So I can slow us down and say. Okay, I hear us going back and forth, but I'm not quite sure I understand what Kathy's uh, point of view here. Can we slow it down? Can we dig in? Can we get what each other knows about this topic and so forth? I just mean that it rarely, maybe sometimes, but rarely happens spontaneously that people shift into the inquiry mode. So it has to be led somehow, but it may not have to be a formal uh, leader. And that goes back to Kathy's question. That may be some of the skills that, that can be taught. Yes. I've, I've witnessed some of those meetings and, and been a kind of a process person, mm-hmm. and it's amazing to say at the end of an hour or two hours to say, well, only two questions were asked in these last two hours. Right. You know, when you can get a metric like that, that everybody's advocating, no one's asking questions. Right, which is stunning, really. Yeah. We all know that the world is uncertain and changing. We should be 80% questions. Uh, and in fact, it were one percent questions. Yeah. Well, it's funny that um, we often think that um, I guess kind of a Socratic method mm. um, doesn't always work with very seasoned professionals. It's right. almost as though they think we're 
uh, taunting them or or being um, uh, kind of uh, uh, oh, motherly or 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 just not treating them as professionals. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that what I've seen this process as you facilitate it. It in fact is a beautiful method for getting people to think differently, mm-hmm. speak up, and and be a part of the conversation. Absolutely, and I, I think it's when I ask people, why do you think this group didn't ask many questions? Mm-hmm. You know, in a in a setting such as Relly describes, mm-hmm. they'll often say, "Well, I think we think that asking questions makes us look weak, yeah, look like we don't know, mm-hmm. right." And that's, you know, that's, that's what I would call a taken-for-granted value. And that goes back mm-hmm. to your earlier point about being assertive and decisive. Mm-hmm. If we have values, recognized or not, that say the person who is decisive wins and the person who asks questions is weak, we're going to be in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think from a coaching standpoint, Kathy and I, you and I probably do this, and I'm sure you do this also, Amy, the person who asks, asks the good questions Many times sounds the smartest because yes. other people are thinking that question, but they're not asking it. Right, that's right. They're putting words to what's in the back of other people's that's minds, or wish they almost. It, it's it's beyond conscious awareness, but they they realize yes, that's the question that needed to be asked. Okay. Well, this has been um, an extremely insightful and helpful program. I'm sure to all of our listeners, it certainly was to me. Um, is there a website where people can get a hold of your uh, cases or information about you, Amy? Yes. Yeah, so if you go just to www.hbs.edu, you can find information about any of the faculty in any of the cases. Um, my my name, Amy Edmondson, it's probably best just to um, um, enter that in and search for me because the the actual website. I can give you a link, but it's kind of long and convoluted. I'm easy to find on the HBS website. My email address is ace at hbs.edu. Those are my initials, A-C-E. And uh, there's lots of information about um, publications and and uh, case studies as well. Well, uh, Dr. Emerson, this has been great, like Kathy said. Very insightful. Hopefully it's got all, all of us thinking a little bit more and they can Look at some of your work, uh, and and if you're on their own, using some of that Socratic uh, case study methodology. So, thank you very much for sharing some of your wisdom today. Well, my pleasure. And this has been Leadership Development News. We're going to be signing off for that for now. Uh, please call in and or uh, listen in and and see what we have on for next week. And Leadership Development News signing off. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.